Welcome to the Order Up Show, the operations management podcast presented by Ops Analytica. Hey, it's Tommy from Ops Analytica. The number one reason why managers don't do their checklists or justify to themselves that it's okay not to do their checklist is because we have set them up for failure. We give our managers these very thorough, very long checklists that take a while to complete, 30, 45, I've seen 60 minute pre-shift checklists. And then we say, hey, go do these every day, but also you have to do them during the busiest part of your shift. Well, you can't do that. It's impossible, right? The, the immediate issues of the shift are always going to trump them doing the checklist. So they just don't do them. And that's why Ops Analytica invented our real-time collaboration. With real-time collaboration, you can have multiple team members on different devices all working together to simultaneously complete the same checklist. So now you can take the responsibility off your busiest employee, your manager, at their busiest time of the day and say, hey, you don't have to spend an hour doing this. You can instead go, hey, pass this around to your team members and everybody can bang this out in 10 minutes and you achieve all of your goals. You achieve your readiness goals. You achieve your development of your employee goals. You are controlling what you can control and everything is better with real-time collaboration only available on the Ops Analytica platform. Check us out, opsanalytica.com. Hey there, order up show. Guess what? It's me, Tommy. I am back. I need to come up with a new intro. I, I was getting good at it in the summer and then I forgot. Anywho, I will come up with new stuff to stay at the beginning of these shows, but that's beside the point, everybody. Please welcome to the show, Nick Machete. Nick, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Tommy. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for asking. Um, actually, I was having a pretty horrible Friday morning, but then it got better as the days went on. So I guess I'm doing pretty good now. Um, we have a super low, we have a super informal show here, Nick, in case you haven't realized. It really is all based on my ADD level for the day and how much caffeine I have. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to have a good time today. Nick, we, uh, we ask everybody the same five questions, and the first one's my favorite. So I'm going to hit you with it right now, man. Explain what you do today, but then take us through your career progression from your first job until now. Go. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I am currently, I have the, the honor and, and privilege of being the general manager of the historic Brown Palace Hotel and Spa in downtown Denver, Colorado. Um, I'm the 14th general manager that this hotel has had in its 130 year history. So um, if you know anything about Denver or, or the region, you, you know, you, you probably have heard of the Brown Palace, likely have been here. But um, yeah, it's one, of, it's one of Denver's most historic hotels. Uh, it's, an, it's an incredibly special place that's hosted, uh, you know, loads of presidents and celebrities over, over the decades. And, and we continue to, to serve, uh, you know, many guests day in and day out, not only in the hotel, but we've got... Uh, Seven food and beverage outlets, uh, including, you know, we, we do a, a daily afternoon tea service uh, every day of the week. And Ship Tavern is a, a historic tavern that's been in operation since right after Prohibition in 1933. And Palace Arms, where we've got 
Napoleonic era artifacts adorning the walls and, and Churchill bar where you can have a nice, uh, whiskey and, and cigar and, and, you know, and on and on and on. So, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of really fun and special things here. And, uh, you know, I get, I get to come here every day and it, it's an incredible honor. As far as, uh, my career path, um, you know, like many of us in, in hospitality, I, I found myself here not intentionally, uh, kind of, kind of ended up in hospitality and, and, and figured out eventually that, Hey, I can make a career out of this. And, and why don't I just do that? So my, but my first job in, in, I think early high school, 14, 15 years old was washing dishes, uh, in a, in a restaurant, uh, you know, three sinks and, and, um, and one dishwasher and that was me. And, and so, uh, it was a job. It was something to get me out of the house and give me some spending money. And, I, I enjoyed work. I always enjoyed work. And through high school, I, you know, I washed dishes, I bust tables, I, um, I worked at a sandwich shop, you know, just whatever I could do. I always, I always enjoyed work and, and always worked, worked hard. And, um, and I, I was a, a, a high school kid who, you know, wasn't really, you know, set on, Hey, I, I'm going to finish high school and then go right into college. And this is what I want to do with my life. I didn't, I didn't have that sort of drive and direction. Um, so I took a little time off after high school, uh, still working, but you know, working in restaurants, I, I, ended, I happened to be a line cook in an Italian restaurant. And after, um, you know, a couple of years of that after high school and some, some strong mentorship from, from, um, some incredible human beings. I, I eventually said, Hey, why don't I, why don't I do this? Why don't I go to culinary school? So I, um, I, I, I went to culinary school here in Denver, um, and, uh, and continued to work through school and, and, uh, finished school. And I was working, um, for a, a restaurant, um, south of Denver and, uh, and, you know, I was kind of helping run the kitchen and, and over the next four years, learned front of the house, back of house, um, all the, the operations of this restaurant. And um, that's when I got I, I got in touch with, with somebody who I had worked with previously. And she was in um, working for Hyatt Hotels at the time at a, at a resort down in New Mexico. And she said, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a restaurant manager for, for our three meal restaurant. You want to you want to move down to Albuquerque and, and um, you know, join the, the team here at the hotel. So. You know, I'm in my early mid twenties, single, no ties, really, and and I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. So I moved to Albuquerque and uh, worked for the Hyatt Regency Tamaya as their uh, three meal restaurant manager, and then, you know, sort of this this uh, world of of uh, hotels sort of opened up to me, and and um, and I really fell in love with it, and and uh, I was at that resort for three and a half years. I did three different positions there. I ran the three meal along with some other outlets and then I, I was uh I, I, I was um then promoted to executive steward and then to the assistant director of food and beverage. Um and and then um after that I was offered an opportunity again within Hyatt to move to Chicago where I worked uh for the Hyatt Regency O'Hare with which was a flagship property for the for the for Hyatt and owned by Hyatt Equities and um so, so went out there, continued to, to assist in a food and beverage leadership role as, as second time assistant director of food and beverage. And then after that, I was promoted 
to be the director of food and beverage for the Hyatt Regency Cleveland in Cleveland, Ohio, downtown. Again, historic building, uh, actually built in a similar era as, as the Brown Palace here. Uh, and I was there for a couple of years. And then, um, you know, I started to look at my career path and, and said, hey, and, uh, you know, do I want to continue uh, to, to be in food and beverage and sort of, um, you know, continue my growth with Hyatt, which I, I love Hyatt and, and still do. It's an incredible brand and really enjoyed my, my time there. But, um, you know, I, I said, Hey, I want to run, run a hotel someday. So what's my, what's my most direct path there? And, and about that time, as I was starting to have these career thoughts, I was solicited, uh, by a company that, um, based out of Cincinnati, Ohio, that, that was on the Marriott franchise side. Uh, the company was Weingartner and Hammonds. Um, and they sort of had this program where they, um, they loved, you know, guys with, with a lot of food and beverage background and they would plug them into their sort of AGM training program and, um, give them a crash course in sales and the, the room side. And they, they sort of ran these 300 room Marriott uh, suburban hotels, full service and, and really efficient models. And they, they ran really high guest service scores and really high, you know, profit margins. And, and, um, so I, I took a leap and I, I joined them. And, um, so I was the assistant general manager at the, um, uh, Hartford Windsor Marriott airport. So they're on Day Hill road, just outside of Hartford, Connecticut. Um, again, had a, had a tremendous mentor in the GM, at that hotel and, and he, uh, you know, put a lot of investment into me and, and as did that company. And a, a couple of years later, I was offered the opportunity to, to uh, as my first GM role as the um, Columbus Marriott Northwest outside of Columbus, Ohio in Dublin, Ohio. So uh, again, great hotel, um, you know, learned a lot there, did some, did some really cool stuff. And then um, was was reached out to by White Lodging to help open the JW Marriott in Austin as the resident manager. Mm -hmm. So downtown Austin, thousand room box in a market that was really hungry for more more rooms. Um, and so our eleven or thousand rooms were quickly absorbed into the supply, and and we ran I think eighty four percent in our opening year um in in austin and, and so it was 100 miles an hour for a year and then uh and then i had the opportunity to come back to denver again with white lodging um back home to denver with the uh the opportunity at the denver marriott south at park meadows so uh was able to get back to denver uh worked at that that hotel for a few years and then uh back to hyatt on the franchise side with the, the hyatt regency aurora uh, with Commonwealth Hotels, and then you know, out of the sky, uh, a couple months before before COVID hit, um, the Brown Palace called me, and um, and gosh, what a what a what a dream come true to be able to be a part of this hotel. And so I, I've been here since March of 2020, um, as I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, you know, yeah, Mar March 9th of 2020 was my first day at the Brown Palace, which, if you recall, that was really that was so the Monday week. before. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was wild. So got here a uh, bit of a dream and then, yeah, within, within my, my first two weeks, we were, we were shutting things down, furloughing, you know, droves of associates and, uh -huh. and then ended up closing the Brown Palace for the first time in its 128 year history within a, about my first, what, five, four or five weeks with the hotel. So, um, yeah, 
and and here we are, you know, in 2022, wrapping up. Uh, you know, had a strong year. Looking forward to a really strong 2023. But I but I tell people that I feel like 2022 has been my my first real year at the Brown Palace, right? Because we're operating at demand levels similar to 2019, and you know, we've got we've got full blown operations going um, now. But it, it's taken a long time to get here. But gosh, I'm I'm happy that we're here now. So couple of things uh first of all i live in denver so i live in highlands Ranch. yeah this is south yeah yeah um so i've actually been in the kitchens at the brown palace because i went to the university of denver hotel restaurant school and we did a tour of the brown palace and we went into the basement when i was a student there to just it's by the way for those of you who don't know the brown palace is like the premier old school hotel in denver if they ever do a sky shot of denver in a movie or of a television show it's always featured it looks very similar to an iconic building in manhattan um it's got that kind of corner they always get it from that corner off broadway you know and it's just gorgeous beautiful hotel super fancy lots of flowers you know like on your drapes and everything we um but just an incredible property and you know how it's featured in a lot but not really like it's kind of featured in but not really is in that um the man in the high castle when they go to denver like uh that's right show on prime they're in the brown palace bar even though it's not the real brown palace bar um but they you're right they're alluding to that hotel in that show Okay, second question I have, just because, so I have a podcast booking agency that books me on shows, and they are in the old Denver Militia building up like in the, I don't know, like over a Capitol Hill kind of, and they say they have a tunnel that goes from that building, it was like the old school Denver Militia from like the 1800s, that goes right to the Brown Palace, is that correct? I'm sure it is. So, so you know, the, the, below the city of Denver in downtown, there's a network of tunnels, and a lot of them are capped and closed off. But um, you know, that's how they used to run coal between buildings um, yeah. back in the 1800s. Is um, they they would run coal uh, subground through these tunnels, and there, there's a network of tunnels all over the place. One of the f- the funny uh, stories and and fairly well known of the Brown Palace is. Across the street from us, across Tremont Street, there's a building called the Navarre Building, and um, and it's it's currently um owned by the Anschutz family, and, and it's a well-regarded building, but it's been around even um you know same same time as the Brown Palace, but in the in the early 1900s, it was a it was a brothel, and so there's a tunnel going from our building to that building, and and the 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 word is the story is that well-known businessmen would use the tunnel to uh, when staying at Brown Palace to head over to the Navarre so they could do it on a little more discretionary basis sure. and, uh, and get over there to, to enjoy themselves. So um, yeah, there's tunnels all over the place and I'm sure I'm sure that that one that you're speaking of is is there or was there and it, it's probably capped at both ends, I would imagine um, at this point. Yeah, so that that dump, so the militia building is like this, like, you know, it's like office space, whatever. And then they have this giant, like they do this giant like like drill area where like the you know the guys would form up in platoons and march around inside and i guess they do concerts and stuff there because she was saying the other tunnel that they had was right to union station so if they needed to get the troops out of town or somewhere around they could run them under the tunnel to the thing it's funny 
So here's a little story. My buddy Jay was a bellman at the Hyatt right across the street from you guys. And when he yeah. was there, Lenny Dykstra, the Phillies player, would come and he would check in with the Hyatt, with the team, but then he would actually get a room at the Brown Palace where he stayed. <laughs> that way his wife could call the Hyatt it. and he'd be at the Brown Palace. <laughs> I love it. In the I same thing the brothel, but not with the official brothel. Um, right, right, right. Uh, okay, quick other question. What's What culinary school did you go to in town? The Art Institute of Colorado. Yeah. Great which school. is now, yeah, yeah, now is, uh, you know, n no longer. But, yeah, it was, it was great school. And I enjoyed it very much. Awesome, yeah. And I, I spent my wedding night in the Park Meadows um, Marriott before we went. No kidding. Our honeymoon, yeah, probably 20, 2007. So. Yeah, a little before my time. But, yeah, yeah, it's a great hotel right down <laughs> by you. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, that, so here's the one thing, going back to the actual subject of the question. Um, which is I really dug you're the first person I think on the show um, that really touched on how important mentors were to your career. And um, I, I thought that is such a part of this business. And I've had a couple mentors myself when I was in the restaurants, right? Like in, in hospitality, I've had a couple mentors myself and, what just talk about what role they played in your career development well tommy i you know i i can't i can't talk about my career without talking about some of the people that that influenced me and and when i look back i i think if you if you reflect back on your on your career and, and probably your life and and if you're being honest you, you can recognize points where you had a decision to make, right? You can go right or you can go left. And, and, and if you look at some of these, these um, crossroads, you know, you, you realize that things change dramatically, maybe for better or for worse based on these, based on these crossroads. And maybe it was a decision that you made, or maybe it was somebody who gave you a shot that, um, that maybe you weren't ready for, or they invested in you in a special way, but you realize that that probably compounded and, and took you on a on a path that you wouldn't have normally found had you not had that influence. And and I look back at some critical times in my career and I think, gosh, what would I have done if I didn't have this person, you know, doing this for me or looking out for me or investing in me? And and I I I, I just I got to be honest, there's no way I would be where I am today without some incredible mentor. So a couple things that that come to mind with that I, I mentioned. Um, you know, post high school, didn't have a lot of direction on what I wanted to do. Um, and, and, you know, you're from Colorado, you probably recognize this establishment as well. But I, I, my grandmother lived in Fort Collins, and there was an Italian restaurant in downtown Fort Collins for, for years and years. And it was, it was really well known, um, called Bassetti's. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Bassetti's, but, um, it really was an institution there on College Avenue in Fort Collins. And I, I, I'm like 19 years old and I've, again, I've worked in some restaurants, I've bust, I've washed dishes, but I haven't been in a, a line cook role. And, and I applied for a line cook position at Bassetti's and, and I got hired. And uh, Mike Sagrillo was the executive chef at Bassetti's and, and um, you know, I was some punk kid and, and I still to this day, and I, I still keep in touch with Mike and um, he, I still consider him a very good friend. And, and I'll ask him like, why the hell did you hire me? Right. Like I 
I wasn't, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, wasn't qualified. And, you know, and he says, well, listen, man, I, I, I saw something in you or I want to take a chance. And, and when I look at that and, and I had no business getting that job and I had no business in that kitchen, but, but I learned quick and, and I had Mike's uh, investment in me. And, and I look at that, that getting that job and then being able to work for Mike. And then that was really where I got this love of food and cooking and, and really um, found this, this passion. And he, you know, and, and I, I wouldn't have made the decision to go to culinary school. I, I guarantee I would not be, I would not have been on that path had I not been given that opportunity to work for Mike and, and that restaurant. And then we ended up again, I don't know how long you've been in Highlands Ranch, but we opened up the, the second location down in Highlands Ranch in 2000. And I was a part of that opening. And, and you know, again, Mike uh, was was there and a part of that and bringing me on as I was wrapping up school and, and all that. So so, you know, mentor, that's one example, and that's, that's the most profound for me. But, but I also look at, um, you know, there have been situations throughout my career, and, and I think it's a bit cliche, but it's true, is where, you know, I've been in roles that I probably wasn't quite ready for, um, you know, but, but you take a chance on yourself and you say, hey, I'm going to go for it. And, and then oftentimes it's a mentor that helps you get to where you need to be. And, 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 um, and I've been fortunate throughout my career to have strong mentors. And, uh, you know, again, I, I'm grateful and I, I look back and I, I say, boy, I, I, um, you know, I definitely wouldn't be where I am without, without the mentors I've had throughout my career. So it's interesting because, uh, my my big my the one mentor that I have that's sort of the biggest in my mind is a chef too. Uh, I worked at the Metropolitan Club uh, down in the yeah. Center back in the early nineties yep. when I was at DU. I, I was at DU's hotel school from ninety two to ninety five, and his name's Keith Jones, and he was the Honey Smoked Salmon chef for a while. He mm -hmm. was, he's a, a, a TV personality chef, and and you know he's just. And he was mentored by a guy, you know, he grew up in the ghettos of Detroit. And basically this guy became a certified master chef. And he met Keith and said, if you show up for work every day and you come here to learn, I will teach you everything I know. And that's how he became a chef, you know? And, uh, but that was his thing, right? Like, like he was the, at the time, Club Corp of America on the Metropolitan Club. And I think he was a corporate regional chef. He had like 30 locations that kind of rolled up to him. But he just loved to teach. Um, he just loved to teach people about cooking and stuff. And I really wanted to be a chef. And I was at hotel restaurant school. And I remember at the time, I, I was like, I want to drop out and go to like Culinary Institute of America. And uh, my mom was like, just get your damn degree. Like, stop screwing around. Like, it was during they were my parents were defense contractors they were for like lockheed and stuff and and uh, clinton was cutting everything and she was like, just get your damn degree we don't even have jobs you know so i ended up not going there um but whatever but yeah keith was such a huge deal and here's the other thing i i was just thinking about because my when you manage a property like the brown palace you know or you manage a restaurant it can become a little bit monotonous over time right? because it's kind of the same thing and once you kind of get it dialed in and you got a great team working for you then you can really get things humming and then you know i for me personally when i was managing restaurants i i would i i, I need more like get a little bit like this is too much of a routine for me i'm getting a little restless 
But what I have realized is the guys that can run a property and do it for years and do it consistently great, they have to find other projects or interests, uh, other projects that they have within their business, right? To you know keep them interested. And mentoring is one that I, as you were talking about that, I was thinking back over my years of experience. Mentoring is, I think, a project that a lot of people really enjoy like a lot of leaders in the industry enjoy taking on is what keeps the business fresh because they can put a lot of effort into developing this person and they can watch this person go from you know cocoon to butterfly right and start making lots of money and be successful and are you doing that currently or do you have mentees at the hotel yeah, absolutely. And and you hit it on the head, right? You're always looking for things. And and listen, um, you know, I don't know when when the Brown Palace is humming at a clip where I could step back. I, I don't know if we'll ever get there, right? Because this sure. hotel presents a lot of challenges. But but no, I you know I, I do value um, being able to be in a in a mentorship position. And I think that knowing what an impact mentor mentors have had on me throughout my career, I'm compelled to as they say, send the elevator back down, right? And, and, and spend time invested in, in people who um, have shown not only the talent, but, but more so the desire and the, the, the ethic and, and, and the, the um, you know, that you see potential in. And, and so, yes, I, um, I'm fortunate to have some incredible people uh, working here, so many that, um, that I, I I love to spend time with, and and sometimes it's it's not about the day to day, right? And and we try to have conversations about life and about work balance and how to and what what should I be doing in my next step and 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 those kind of bigger conversations that are sometimes outside of the the day to day operation. And I think um, they really appreciate that and that opportunity. And so yes, I try to look for those uh, mentorship opportunities as often as possible. It's very fulfilling for me. And when, you know, you work with someone and you, you're, you're able to guide them and mentor them, and then you see them go off, like you said, spread their wings, become butterflies. And then, you know, you keep in touch and, and you follow their career. And, and then it, it's, it's incredibly rewarding for me. And, and so um, it's one of the, it's one of my favorite parts of, of my job indeed is, is that piece. Yeah, it was interesting. Well, there's a couple of points there. One, two, you never know when you're going to need a job. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, I obviously want to keep in touch with these people because you never know if your butterfly becomes a GM of another property and that this property goes bad and you're just looking for a gig for two years. I have a friend who, uh, you know, he was like GM of all these country clubs. And then like towards the end of his career, he was like a food and beverage director because he's the one with the headaches. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to deal with the board. I'll just come in, run your restaurants. Hell, Tom Moxie is a friend of our of our family. He was the CEO of um, Rock Bottom back in the like nineties when it was yeah. up. You know, he runs food and yeah. beverage over at the Highlands Ranch Golf Club now, just because he can't sit at home. There you, go. you know what I mean? Right. And it's him and a cook. Yeah. And this was the CEO of like at the time like a hundred like a five hundred unit chain he built from the ground up. They get sold it millions of dollars. You know what I mean? Like crazy. Like Rock Bottom is a Colorado you know, story. And he was there for the, oh, best yeah. it. and now it's him and a cook and they just hang out in the, and they just like hand out sandwiches and bloody Marys and it's just to get them out of the house. So, you know, your career That's is, awesome. is going to ebb and flow, right? You know, some point in the future, you're going to be looking to be the guy at home Depot or the guy, the starter on the golf course. 
you know, even though you were the CEO of something huge before. Um, well, the other part too, is that mentoring, like the thing about mentoring is this, is that I don't know anybody in my career that like, if you went up to them and you said, Hey man, I really want to learn more. I just want to be better at this. I want to learn more. I want to make this my career. I have not yet met anybody in the hospitality industry that wouldn't say yes to that. And that's another huge benefit of our industry in a time when labor is tough. You know, that's yep. something that, you know, we offer that a lot of other people don't offer. They offer it in such a formalized way. It's annoying, you know, like, you know, it's just it's the culture, uh, like our business, I always say is it's one of the few businesses where you don't need to have like a Harvard MBA to make a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like you can come up through the ranks and if you're a good people manager and you get competent at what you do, you don't need to have the degree to have, like you don't have a traditional business degree. You have a chef's degree and yet you're managing one of the premier hotels in the world. So, you know what I mean? Like that's, it's your rags to riches Annie story right there. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent, and yeah, you're right. But but, and I think you know, as kind of we'll, we'll probably touch on you know as as we continue the conversation. I mean, um, you know, we need to. I believe as as an industry, restaurants, hotels, you know, hospitality in general, we really need to think about the long term future of our industry and how do we be maintain our attractiveness and and with young people looking to enter the workforce. And I, and I think. This mentorship piece is it has to be a critical part of that, right? Because if if you're maybe in high school or, or in college and you're looking at what you want to do with your life, um, based on what we've been through the last couple of years, I, I would not be surprised if a lot of young people are concerned about hospitality, right? Seeing it uh, impacted the way it has been. So I think you know as we explore ways to be attractive as an industry to young people to be viable uh, in the future, I, I, I think this mentorship piece will continue to be a way, as you said, a, a unique uh, process that we have um, to, to, to bring people up. Yeah, it's interesting too, because you went to Art Institute for Culinary School, but I remember, and I don't know if this is still true, because this is obviously 30 years ago, but there was Denver Technical College, which is down by the DAC, Denver Athletic Club. They, mm -hmm. they met down there. Mm -hmm they did an apprenticeship program to become a chef and so you worked you got like a job because we had guys at uh denver F, uh, the metropolitan club working with keith uh, under keith where they would work four days a week and then they got one day off to go thursday nights to go to the technical college and keep learning their skills because you know it's mike rose a big proponent of this but like not everybody needs to go get a business degree or you know wants to take on a thousand dollars in debt there are avenues Oh, a you know, I don't care who you are. There's no one in the hospitality industry that didn't work their way up from something at the base level and then just kept going up. You know, that's just a kind of a prerequisite to run a hospitality company. Um, but then you know, like there's also these other avenues, technical colleges, culinary schools, where you can go and you know not drop a million dollars and spend four years getting a degree you're not going to use. You get practical experience, and you can work while you're there. So you can make money to pay for it. So just, you know, there are other avenues out there to get into this industry and, and, and you know, make it amazing. So cool. So that's question number one. You can tell it's a very disciplined, strict show. <laughs> question number two, what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? 
Well, you, you know, I think, um, you know, at this hotel with, with our history, um, it, you know, and, and listen, I, I don't want this interview to be all COVID doom and gloom, but I think that it does, it does need to be, you know, state, it's, it's been so impactful and, and a hotel like this that, that runs, you know, so much food and beverage volume and there's so much history and, and, um, you know, we were really hit hard and, and 2020 was, was a hard year. And I think in many ways, 2021 was maybe harder because we were trying to climb back, but still with, um, up and down as far as, uh, you know, government restrictions and still trying to run lean to drive some semblance of profitability, which was really tough. And then, you know, COVID protocols and, and it was a, it was a slog in 2021. And as I said earlier, 22 has become sort of the real, you know, more, more operable year as far as restrictions being lifted and really being able to run at full, full force. Um, so for us right now, it's, it's how do we keep that momentum going and how do we really get back as far as our operation goes to, um, operating at, at a high level of excellence to, to exceed our customers extremely high expectations of us and, and our high expectations of ourselves and to be able to deliver, you know, the, the, the service levels and the, and the uh, quality of product that consistently, and, and, and I'll be honest, it's been, it's been tough um, on, on, you know, various limited resources over the last few years. So, so that's our charge right now is, is just bringing the Brown Palace back to its reputation and it's it's um, it's it's um, you know glory days and and really how do we operate better moving forward um, than than we ever have and and that's our those are our marching orders you know there's a lot of things too that aren't aren't as sexy as far as you know dealing with a 130 year old building and HVAC and and you know the, these sorts of things that that end up tying uh, tying up a lot of time and resources for us but. But beyond that, as we look to high level, it's, it's just how do we serve our guests in the best way possible um, and, and the most appropriate way. And, and those are the things that, that we really um, are, are looking to, to do and achieve on a day to day basis. So, you know, one thing I noticed and I especially noticed that I've noticed it at the different extents over the last couple of years, because we've traveled quite a bit like we're big travelers. And so we've been all over the place. Um, since the pandemic, since the pandemic started, but it was recently down in uh, South Carolina, September. Uh, we stayed at the Marriott in um, what's it called? Wherever Denny's is headquartered. We were visiting Denny's, and mm-hmm. uh, I think of the name right now. And uh, Spartanburg. So we were the de- we had yep. the born Marriott down in Spartanburg, and then we drew, then we ended up going to Charleston for like a company retreat. And uh, we stayed at a courtyard uh, in Charleston in the historic district. Beautiful. But one thing I noticed in both those hotels was they they looked banged up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People weren't getting the people. People had obviously deferred preventative maintenance um, and touch ups for, you know, just because that's expensive. And, you know, they were struggling to get by. Um, and those hotels looked beat up. Like, you know, and I, yeah, I've stayed in a lot of nice hotels and um, it was really noticeable to me. Did you guys really struggle with that too? Because I know you have like crazy drapes and bread spreads. Yeah. You know, 
stuff at your hotel, but was that a big problem for you guys as well? It was, I mean, it, you know, and it, it still is, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, we, um, we, we kept, you know, we kept engineers on staff through, through the furloughs, through the closure with the intent of, you know, continuing to do preventative maintenance. And we actually saw it as an opportunity, right? This will let it allow us the opportunity to get into guest rooms that, you know, we've been running high occupancies for years that we haven't been able to really stop and, and take a, take a real um, uh, thorough approach to, to preventative maintenance and all that. But, but, you know, the reality, Tommy, is that it was, it was difficult. I mean, we were still trying to uh, be as cost conscious as possible because financially it was just, yeah. I mean, to say catastrophic is, is still an understatement. Um, so, so the resource and, and we had other building issues going on. You know, if, if you remember also around that time was there was social unrest and all of our windows got broken out uh, wow. over, over protests and things like that. So we were, we were, we were up against so many challenges and, and these aren't excuses, but these are just the realities of what we faced that year is that, we probably weren't able to get as much of that done as, as we wanted to. And then you're trying to reopen and, and phase your opening. And, and again, trying to drive some profitability for the owners to justify being open and all that. And so, you know, resources are still limited. So yes, it's, it's been a, it's been a tight rope walk um, to, to, you know, invest in the building and, and do it in a way where we're still efficient. And, um, and it's been hard. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not, we're not there yet. Um, we've made a lot of progress and the team has been incredible at their diligence, but we've, we've still got work to do. But yes, that's our, that's our goal is to not have our guests come in with the, and leave with that impression that you have uh, on those hotels that, that, Hey, we were just at the Brown Palace and it looks beat up. And, and we, we have gotten some of that feedback, but that drives us, that motivates us to be better. And, and that's what we'll continue to be focused on, um, you know, o- over the coming year. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and I'm not like, yeah, I'm not like ripping on those people. They, you know, you sure. Right. You know, like it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You can't work on That's right. five. Does that poof on that drape look good when you don't have air and like shelter? You know what I mean? Like you got to get air and shelter first. And so, but yeah, it was just, that was my impression. Um, and it, it's kind of bummed me out because I'm a big, I generally have been a big Marriott guy just because I, I like the points and everything. But like, um, you know, that just kind of made me sad, I guess, a little bit. But I, but I totally understand. Like, I'm not like I'm obviously in the industry. I get it. So, um, how's your staffing? Because I, by the way, I'm going to preface that with like I assume that because you guys are the fancy place and the waiters and like the servers and the busters all make great money and it's a real professional deal there and coming into Christmas season with parties, I assume they make great money. So I would assume you're doing great. But I want to hear from you. You know, we're, um, it's, it's, again, it's been a tough run. I think, um, in certain positions, you know, we've, we really haven't had a lot of trouble over the last couple of years to some degree we have, but, but not really, but then there are other positions where it's been really tough. Um, you know, culinary staff has probably been the one that's, um, been the most difficult and, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but, but I think that, um, 
that it's getting better. It's not quite where we want it to be yet. We're still having to supplement with contract labor and, and things like that, which gets the job done, but it's not as efficient. It's not as clean. Um, but yes, yeah, service staff and servers have been good, as you said. I mean, we have a lot of staff that have been here a really long time and, and do a great job at taking care of guests, which, which helps them and the, their, their, you know, viability and, and making good money. Um, you know, and then it's some of the other support positions like food runners and, and bussers and things like that, 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 you know, you, you, they tend to be higher turnover positions anyways. Yeah. And, um, you know, given that the, the, the last couple of years, it's just been, it's been more difficult to, to keep, um, keep those, those staff, those departments staffed up consistently. But, but, but I'll tell you that it's gotten significantly better. I would say, you know, throughout this year, but over the last 60, 90 days, we've seen it continue to, 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 to increase. And, and we've got departments that are fully staffed, which wow. we haven't been able to say, you know, in the last couple of years. So, so in some ways, yes, a lot of progress. Um, but I will tell you another thing is that, and I, I've heard on some of your recent podcasts, this has kind of come up, you know, we're out of this like warm body hiring syndrome, right? Where we just yeah. need a body and if you show up to the interview, you're hired, right? And we're able to sort of move out of that. And so what I what I say is that the quality of candidate is a little better. And then our, we are we able to take a little more time with the hiring process to make sure we're getting the right people in the right places, um, which has helped tremendously. So when you do fill that position with the right person, you're getting a bump in, in productivity from that as opposed to, okay, we just hired a warm body, but it still didn't really fix our problem. Right. And then, yeah. and then the other piece of that, which again, I've, I've heard, uh, in, in some recent conversations you've had is in the, the quality of leaders that we've able, been able to get in here. We've, the, the leadership team that we have is, is probably what I'm most excited about now is we've got a, a team of engaged leaders who are helping to drive you know, again, culture, I, you know, I was able to get what maybe halfway through the conversation before I mentioned the culture word, but, but it is, it's, it's, it's a, it's a critical word and, and probably overused bit of a buzzword, but, but I think leaders drive culture and, and people want to work for strong leaders. And, and so I'm, I, the quality of our leadership team has improved greatly, which I think is going to continue to help us with our staffing efforts and not only quantity of staff, but quality of staff as well. Well, and I, you know, from my perspective, like just seeing them when I was like in that space, you know, working, you want to work at the cool, you obviously no hospitality person will stay at a slow job. I don't even care if it could be the Brown Palace. There's one room, your best people are going to leave because they can't stand, the hospitality people can't stand still. So they don't want to be sitting around doing nothing. You know, if you have people that are okay with that, you've hired the wrong people. But then on top of that, you want to work at the iconic places. You know, you want to work at the Capitol. If you think at Denver, you want to work at the Capitol Grill. You want to work at, uh, um, what's the one with the first liquor license down there um, with the whales? Oh, yeah. Buck, Buck Horn Exchange. Buck Horn Exchange. Yeah. You know, you want to work at the places where there's a lot of energy, a lot of volume, and you want to be proud. Yeah, I am a concierge at the Brown Palace. That 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 says something, you know. That's not a, you know what I mean? Like, that's a thing. So I feel like you guys are blessed in that you've built you've built and kept that reputation over you know a, a long period of time. Um, that's so that's right. cool. I'm glad to hear that. Um, 
Yeah. Well, and the, the whole staffing thing too, it's like, you know, you talk to somebody, it's like, I can't get anybody to work. And then you talk to the next guy and he's like, I haven't had turnover in three years. And you're like, okay, right. now it, it comes down to, it does come down to it's culture and leaders because, you know, I don't know that the guy who has it, I mean, yeah, if you pay a lot, people will stay a little bit longer, but no, but, but the great thing about the hospitality business being like, I have friends that are in banking and, and this girl's like, I just have to wait for this person to retire in six years and then I'll become a VP, which by the way, anybody can be a VP at a bank. I'm a VP at a bank right now. Right. This, that, that's not right. hard to get. But like the great thing about the hospitality industry and, and people do it constantly and you see it, especially if you work in chains, is you get a, is people vote with their feet, man. Like there is no problem getting hospitality jobs. So if you're working someplace and then there's new manager comes in and that guy's a total butthole, guess what? You're going to bolt and, and you'll see it. You'll see a whole, you'll see a restaurant that was on an amazing trajectory or a hotel and then they'll get a new leadership in there and then they will literally lose their entire staff, have to restaff and then their sales will start plummeting, you know, six months later. So you have that ability. If you don't have great leaders, you don't have a great culture. You're not going to keep people. I don't care how much money they're making because they don't need to work with them. It's, it's true. And, and, uh, you know, newsflash that, that was the case before COVID anyways. Right. I mean, I think it's, it's popular to blame all these staffing problems on COVID, yeah, but yeah. it's not, it, it, you know, this, this was all happening pre COVID anyways. It was, it was a tough staffing model. People found themselves gravitating towards the, 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 locations that were known for being great workplaces and that's that's uh, th those those um those fundamentals are still true well and it'd be interesting too and i don't know that you could even study this but you know everybody talks about the great exodus during covid you know but true but i wonder how many of those people that left sucked and needed to go anyways you know because the reality is, is if you're a garbage manager and you treat your people poorly, your job managing whatever department you're managing is 10x harder than it is um, if you're a great manager and your team loves you. Because when you're a great manager and your team loves you, they just show up and they do stuff and you don't even have to tell them what to do. Like you hand the banquet sheet over and they're just setting up a banquet, you know? Whereas when you're a bad manager, you're like having to run down to the dumpsters and get people to stop smoking and you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like that yep. job is so much harder. So hopefully one of the silver linings was that a bunch of people that needed to leave the industry left because they didn't want to deal with how hard their jobs were. And maybe we have a higher quality of like the people that are still in, they wanted to be in, you know, whereas maybe before it feels like they just were there because they were willing to pay a warm body, you know? No, no question. And, and, you know, and yeah, you look for silver linings, right. And, and it happened in 2008, 2009 as well, right. We came out of the, the recession as an industry stronger and more efficient than we were. And some of that had to do with staffing and some of it had to do with process and, and, and what this has done, what this has done for us at the Brown Palace. And, and, you know, when I got here, it was, you know, <laughs> It was the dreaded. Well, okay, well, why do we do this? Well, this is how we've always done it, right? And and at, the, at a hotel that's 130 years old, we had a lot of. Well, this is how we've always done it, right? So as we as we've looked at our processes and looked for ways to be more efficient with again our closure, I I, I would never uh, welcome it, but it did allow us the opportunity to look at not only people but also processes and say. 
is this process still serving us and serving our guests? And we want to keep doing it this way. And, and, and sort of the 2020 allowed us to kind of wipe the slate clean. And, and then as we rebuild and we continue to, we're able to re- rewrite some of these processes, which we never had the ability to do before. Cause it, you know, we just never had the chance to kind of stop and slow down and say, you know, let's do this differently. So we, we have looked at that. We have been able to, to look at, you know, the, the folks here and, and, and again, you know, find the right people that are engaged in who we are and, and buy into the history and, and love the, the historical component of this hotel and also the way we do things. And, and so we're looking at all those opportunities. And I do believe that we're coming out of this stronger and more efficient. And, and ultimately that um, will result in, in a better experience for the guests moving forward than, than maybe even it has in the past. So that, that's, that's what we're looking to do. Well, and I think you touch on something that's important and like, you know, sometimes I get super critical on the restaurants because I love restaurants so much and it's been my life since I was 14 and I get mad at people when they suck and so like, I get mm-hmm. critical, but I have, I've called it out and you just kind of mentioned it too, is that the, one of the biggest issues with facing the hospitality industry is that we're closed two days a year and the two days that we are closed. Um, in a hotel, you're probably not even closed because you might have guests, but in restaurants, typically they would close like Christmas and Thanksgiving, right? Like, or potentially New Year's Day, two to three days. That doesn't give people a lot of downtime to sit there and take stock of what's going on because there's people in their buildings. You know what I mean? I got butts and seats right now. So yeah, I would love to really sit down and rework my training documentation. But guess what? I got four people, no call, no show. And I got a, I got a busy register. Tonight. So we're going to have to push that out to the side. And that's where having corporate offices and being part of a chain does give you, I think there is benefit to that in the respect of those people work nine to five Monday through Friday. They're not concerned with who's in your building. That's your job. Their job is to think stuff up, right? Whether they execute well on that, you make a different case on that. But, you know, that is one of the toughest parts is that you never have time off to just sit back and think, you know, and ruminate because there's always a fire and there's always a party and there's always guests. So it's true. It's true. Question number three. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like giddy today for some reason. This is super fun. <laughs> this is like extra fun for me because a, I love the Brown palace. We've had tea there several times. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then I love the Churchill room cause I'm a big cigar smoker. I can never get in. Yep. I do love it to death. And so like, it's so fun for me to be talking to you because it is like a place that I would uh, frequent. And I used to live right on 12th and Grant, like when I was in college. Oh yeah. So I was like, yeah. Well, what's, well, what's, what's cool now, Tommy, is that, you know, the guy who runs the Brown Palace. So I, I may be able to get you into Churchill uh, at some point in the future if you're interested. All I want to do is sit in the Churchill room and eat that whipped cream that you give to people on the tea. (laughs) Because like I I don't love chocolate as much. I'm like a I'm like a savory person, and that's the greatest. Like like, and I've done high tea at Harrods too. So like, I know high tea, and like that whipped cream. Oh my god! And those pedophores, I could just all day long eat those and then smoke cigars. It'd be the happiest. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be the happiest man ever. Um. Oh, and then get crab legs at the at the other restaurant, the King Crab Legs. There you go. Uh, yeah. That's like that'd be like my execution day. Like that'd be my execution. Right, right. Because, uh, a day at the Brown Palace. 
Exactly. Just you can handcuff me. I'll be in an outfit, and then you can go gas me the next morning. But I got to do these four things. You can do them all Listen, there. And that's 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 probably the greatest compliment that you could give us, Tommy. Is <laughs> is that that's what you want? A day at the Brown Palace for your for your last your last day. That's awesome. Yeah, because I did the crab legs. I'd get the prime rib. I'd smoke the cigars, and yep. I would just eat bowls of that whipped cream and drink some black tea. And then I, I love it. I love it. Oh, and I like those little olives you have in the Churchill room too. Yep. Um, yep. Okay. Question number three, I think is what we're on. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? So, you know, as far as the day-to-day -day thing specific to the Brown Palace, it, it's some of the things that I've talked about. It's, it's how do we ensure that we're honoring the tradition, the reputation of this hotel for the guests coming in. I, I think that, um, you know, we, we get a lot of guests who say, you know, they've been coming here since they were kids and they're, you know, my, my grandmother used to bring me to, to afternoon tea when I was a child and now I'm bringing my kids, right? And, yep. and, and as I hear these stories, I realize that this hotel is much more than a hotel. It's part of people's traditions and the culture of Denver and, and the region. And, and it's, it's people have, they feel like they own the Brown Palace. They feel like they're, it's a part of them and their family and who they are. And, and that's, I don't take that lightly. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm constantly thinking about how do we honor that appropriately and, and, and serve that um, importance the right way. And so we talk a lot about that here and, and, you know, and it's, it's unlike any other hotel or, or establishment that I've ever worked in, in that way. Um, the other piece, um, more, more from a broad in industry standpoint, again, is something I talked about is, is how do we, how do we be attractive to young people as they're looking at what they want to do with their careers. And, and I am concerned about this because I believe that in the future, um, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, we're going to continue to have a difficult time recruiting um, people to run hotels and, and companies in the hospitality space because um, we, we haven't invested in uh, work-life balance. We haven't invested in some of the wellness initiatives that, and, and the important piece. I mean, this industry, you know, restaurants, hotels has always been known for working people, holidays, nights, weekends, long hours, demanding hours. It's not even long hours, but it's long hours on your feet and in a hot kitchen and under stressful situations. And, and you know, I, I think back and I think, gosh, why would somebody choose that? Right. And, and so um, so I think as an industry, we've got to um, um, figure out how to be attractive to, to people wanting to join the workforce. And then the other piece is that, you know, I look at again, back to culinary schools in Denver, and you know, I mean, the, the Art Institute's closed, uh, Johnson Wales is closed. I mean, the, the, the number of culinary schools uh, is, is less than it used to be. And, and I, from what I understand about DU and some of the other hospitality schools in the, in the region, class size is down. And, 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 you know, I don't know how that compares with other, other majors and other, other industries, but, um, but that concerns me. So, so I, I think about that as well. And, and again, I think it touches back to the mentorship piece and, and how can, what can I do to, to sort of, um, you know, uh, do my part with our industry to continue to show that, hey, this, this is an incredible industry. And as you said, uh, hard work and, and dedication and, and um, things, you can be successful without having that 
you know, four, six year degree and, and, um, and do a lot of cool things here and have a lot of fun. And, and there's a lot to be excited about, but we got to promote that. We got to market that and we got to live it in, in the, the, um, the establishments that we operate so that, again, we talk about culture, but that that's the experience that people have. And, and that, um, you know, kind of just restoring the reputation of our industry, I think is something that we, we got to continue to continue to work on. And so I, th I think about that as well. And I think too, I feel like the associations and I always rip on the NRA, a restaurant association and mm -hmm. then hot, but the, what is it? Chaffa, the hospitality hotel. Mm -hmm. I know they're spending a ton of money lobbying the government to like not do things that are going to destroy our businesses, which they need to do, but they need to put some money. They need to put some advertising out there that, that shows like, like I was a bellman in a hotel in Maryland, right? Like, you know, those are the funnest jobs I've ever had with my best friend from high yep. school. It was great. You know, I've worked in a ton of restaurants, you know, and like they need to get out there and they need to start showing the host. They need to put a little bit of their budgets to showing the hospitality industry um, as what it is, which is like it, it can be a home. It can be your family away from your family. Right. And it can be, like we said earlier, an industry where you can grow and you don't have to have a degree and you can just work your way up and you can get these tremendous opportunities. I know tons of millionaires that are in the restaurant industry. And but at the same time, I would say this, too, you know, because I always I always kind of give people grief about culture training because culture, you can tell people what your culture is all day, but you have to experience the culture because I've worked in plenty of places where they had a great ethos. And then the management team on the floor was yelling at people and not living the culture. But we have a responsibility as operators and I'm not an operator anymore, but you do. You have a responsibility to create to create work environments where people want to be there, you know? And, and like, if you own a business and you, you can't just throw, like, you can't just throw some dirt bag in there and say, Hey, manage this place. I don't want to deal with it. You know, you got to like care about your employees and create a real environment for them so that, cause that's where they're going to learn their love of the industry. And it's what's going to keep them in the industry. You know, I guarantee you the people who left the industry during the exodus is because their current boss was a jerk. And they're like, screw yep. this, you know? Yeah, I agree. And so, yes, but so it's, it's both ways, right? We've got to promote it. We've got to market it. We've got to tell people our story, but we also have to live it, you know, day to day. And, and that's hard to do as an industry, right? Because, you know, how many different companies operate in, in the, the hospitality space, but, um, but, but we've got to do a better job. And, and I think that organizations like uh, National Restaurant Association and Colorado Hospitality Lodging Association, these are conversations that we have. And I'm on, you know, boards that are affiliated and, and, and we talk about these things. So I think there are conversations happening. Is it enough? I don't know. I think I think we have to keep at it to your point and keep telling the story and, and then keep doing what we're doing on a day to day basis to drive that on the floor in, in our individual um, uh, sites. Yeah, I mean, we have to up our game on professionalism, I guess, too. Just like in general, you know, like, yeah. like there are no, and, you know, I know you can get like your keys if you're a concierge and I'm sure you can become a certified hotel manager or a certified restaurant. You know, I'm sure somebody's offering an accreditation, if you will. But um, 
Yeah, we just got to up our professionalism level. I think we, uh, I think, and I mean, I get it. I remember sitting at the PFJ and so the stack of applications just calling people, hey, you got to work? You want to come to work? Want to come to work? You know what I mean? Like, we need people today. So, I mean, I get it. When the, the that's, but going back to what we said kind of earlier, that's also part of our problem is that we're never not working. You know what I mean? Like, you only get three days off a year. So, how are you going to like, you know, how are you going to like come up with these plans and these things? One of the most genius things that obviously only Chick-fil-A can afford to do it, but getting all those general managers, all those management teams off Sunday to like right. collect their thoughts and then they right. get another day off during the week, right? Like, like I, I think I calculated at one time, it was probably a couple hundred million dollars a year that they lose as a brand, you know? um for being off you know like that many days a year but like what does that do for the monday through uh saturday what what does that give to those people you know you know we we really do have to rethink how a hospital what a hospitality job is we have to rethink right. is it 40 hours a week or is it two right. 20 hour a week jobs and then you know are you a restaurant manager for 20 hours a week and then do you do 20 hours of admin work so you can come home and have dinner with your kids and be home on a weekend. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. awesome. And, and I think, yeah, but I think there are companies that are, that are starting to explore this, right? You, you hear about restaurant companies or even hotel companies that are exploring, you know, the four day work week, which, you know, yeah. five or 10 years ago, you'd be laughed at by uh, somebody if, if you were, you know, proposing that in, in our space. Um, you know, you've got hotel companies now that are offering unlimited PTO and things like that. And these, these are big, these are big moves. And so um, it, it, things are happening. I think things are shifting. You know, even I, I look at our company and, and what's available to me now and our associates from a benefit standpoint, as far as, you know, wellness and, 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 and these aren't just initiatives, but they are, they're real and there's real resources for you know, uh, support and, and mental support and, and things like that. And so again, you look for silver linings. I think, I think the, the pandemic has sort of, um, brought to the surface the need for more, more support in this space. Um, I'm glad that, you know, leaders of companies seem to be listening and, and taking meaningful action. I, I think we just need, we need it to continue. And I think that's going to be important as, um, as we, we continue to, you know, come out of this and, and again, be attractive to, to folks entering the workforce. Absolutely. Hey, question number four, what is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? So it's, 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 it's that I, it's what I just mentioned. And I don't think that, um, it's not that we're not doing it. I think we're just not doing it to the level that we we could be or should be doing it. So I feel momentum here, but it, it's around work life balance. It's around you know mental um, you know attention and and making sure that we're not working people to the bone because because that's what it's been. And and you know you've been in this industry a long time, and as have I, and I. You know, we used to wear it as a badge of honor that, hey, I worked, you know, 80 hours last week and I haven't had a day off in two and a half weeks and things like that. And that used to be when I was young, I look back and and, and I, I kind of shake my head and think, gosh, that was so um, that wasn't the way to be. And, and so I, I look at um, 
myself and I look at um, how I want to operate um, as a as a hotel you know manager and 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 for the, the folks under me and I want to model it and I want to support it and I want people to feel good about taking their days off and not feel like they're they should they shouldn't feel guilty for taking vacation they shouldn't feel yeah. guilty for using their 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 paid time off that by the way they've earned and they're entitled to and and we how do we support them so that yeah go take a week off and and we're not going to bug you right while you're away go go and detach and and so i think that as an industry i think there's again i think there's momentum heading in this direction i think it's meaningful i think it's real um and i i want to see it continue um so i think that that's one um the other that you know i i don't know if this really fits in with the question but you know i think it's something that we want to be careful about and it's automation right and i think what something that i love about um hospitality is i think that it's it we're really in so many ways protected from automation and and i think that there you know if we continue to give great service and i think um you know meaningful connections with people and and the importance of being in person and being together. And I think that's, again, something that the pandemic has taught us is that the importance of not living on Zoom, uh, you know, uh, seven days a week, 365, right? There's there's power in sitting at a table with someone and dining and, and having a meeting in person. And, and so um, I think that uh, something that I'm glad that the industry isn't, isn't pushing more towards is automation and trying to take away those those meaningful connections and and we do see it in some ways I mean there's you know mobile key and some of the brands are are driving that which I which I think for some guests you know it, it makes a lot of sense for but but it's also really important that um, we have that face to face connection we're able to deliver deliver personal service and that's something that I'm happy that we continue to get to do and that we're back to doing uh, in this post pandemic world. Well, and I, I, I want to touch on that automation thing, too, because I think what it has to be is obviously going to be a balance. So it's going to work itself out to a balance. Like, you know, you have the hot shop yeah. of the 1950s or whatever, where you just went in and paid money and opened those little doors and pulled sandwiches out and whatnot. And I think that they're redoing that with that wow bow out of uh, Let Us Entertain You, I think, still in that wow bow, which is similar. You just, like, you go up to, like, a, a door and you get, like, dumplings or something. But... It's really about that, reaching that balance of smart automation. What is a job or what is a task that is, you know, that just needs to be done and it doesn't affect the gas, it's part of the cogs of the wheel that affect the gas, right? Like, like the flippy robot or like the one that drops fries. That's, a, that's an actually great place for automation because it's something that you were going to pay a human being to do to train them, have to staff them, have to pay Cobra when they leave. You know, they're not going to get a ton of enjoyment from that job. Like nobody sits there and goes, I work the fries, you know, like I just 12 hours a day and it's on fries, you know, but then at the same time, that frees us up to have, you know, more of the service providing um, guest experiences. And it all is based on your business. You guys are a luxury hotel. You, you, people want to have a valet and a bellman and a doorman, you know, a front desk person explain what's going on and, you know, really give right. them service. But if you're at like a, you know, a courtyard somewhere and you can just walk to your room, go to bed, get up, get on a plane, you know, that's what those guys want on that one. But yeah, I agree. We have to like, we have to look at automation. We have to look at, we have to back into automation, meaning we have to look at what are we trying to accomplish first? 
How are we going to take care of the guests? And then what things can we use technology to make things a little bit better for them without losing yeah. the experience of a sommelier explaining the wine list or a great server who's recommending things? You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. The, the one that came to mind as you're saying that is like vacuuming, right? Like vacuuming the ballroom. Like, do we need, right? Can I get a robot vacuum overnight yeah. where it's not going to disturb anyone? to vacuum the ballroom or vacuum the, the corridors, right? The, the guest room corridors, this sort of, yeah, it's monotonous work. It can happen when everybody's sleeping and, yep. and there are, the, the technology exists to be able to do that. And yes, to your point, are we saving labor hours to be used somewhere else where we can invest in, in more staff to make more meaningful connections with our guests? And that's, that's you're right. It's, it's about automation in a meaningful, smart way to, yeah. to get us get our guests more of what they're looking for which are those those meaningful service connections yeah it's interesting because i got these guys that i'm teaming up with and uh, they've got this like air ozone maker and you can like you could you could strap it into your ballroom and then in the middle of the night it will like pump out like i don't know positive ozone something like that and it will literally affect yeah. the entire room but it does it at night by itself and it hits every surface you know it's crazy totally yeah yep. they're doing some cool stuff they're an iot company and that's how because i internet of things like iot like you know that never really is meaningfully taken off in the restaurant hospitality space across the board because the big use cases are you know hey you'll save time checking your temperatures well you don't really save it you you get back like 10 minutes a day. So it's not like, oh my God, I could, you know, I changed the world. And the other big thing is, hey, you might lose your, if your cooler dies, you know, you'll know about it sooner. Well, maybe in a mm -hmm. the Brown Palace banquet cooler, that might make sense because you might have a couple hundred thousand dollars of food in there during Christmas time. But you also have people probably working there 24 hours a day. So someone should probably have caught that, you know, that the cooler was yeah. down, could have, could have started packing everything with ice. But what I really think of IoT is, so that, that's why I believe those use cases haven't really taken off. But what I do believe IoT is, is it's our first step, and it's gonna get better over time, um, but it's our first step towards saying, hey, this is a, re this is a, like a, a boring, soul-sucking task that has to get done, but we don't need you to do it anymore. It's almost like investing in your employees. Hey, right. I'm not gonna make you walk in and then like, move 40 pounds of roast to find a hanging thermometer in the back of the freezer to tell me that the thing's right. 10, 10 degrees below zero. I'm not going to make you do that anymore. I'm just going to free that time up to go have a cup of coffee, chop some more vegetables, do what you're going to do. But like we can take some of those monotonous because our industry has a lot of monotonous tasks. So let's, if we can start to reduce those with automation, I think that's where it's going. And this company that I've been teaming up with, They've got some crazy camera technology that can like identify, you know, cars and where they're pointing. I mean, it's nuts. So cool. They use AI and cameras to like really dial in what's happening and uh, and give the operators cool information. So anybody's interested in that, yeah, just ping me on the on the absent letter website and I'll tell you about it. But it's super cool stuff, and we'll be talking more about it by next year. Um, yeah, that's great. Okay. So we got industry, and by the way, I agree. And I think that this is just a, the going back to your whole staffing thing, this is the natural evolution of our business. If we want to have a business and we want to have people work in it, then we've got to make it 
as attractive as sitting in your car or going to buy groceries for people, right? Like it is just the way yep. it is. And we've just got to make it better. And we have things that those people don't have. We have camaraderie. We have teams that are families that go out and have beers after work. You know, um, we have like shift meals and we have like being a part of these big events. Like your hotel at Christmas time is absolutely beautiful, you know, and working yep. those banquets. I've worked crazy you know, banquets before Christmas time. They're actually really fun. They're like, that's good work. You make great money, you know. You get great shift meals because there's leftover crab cakes and stuff. It's, it's all good. Um, cool. So now, uh, but by the way, too, because you said something else when I about like it used to be a badge of pride that you worked 80 hours a week and you've been on eight shifts in a row. And, you know, and like and when you're in the middle of that, you have that mindset that like because that's all you have really is you're just working, working, working. You have that like. You know, it's a badge of pride. But then when you get to different phases of your life, you look back and go, that was, that's nuts, man. I wouldn't want to do that today. But that's also yeah, why right. the next question is called war story time. Because literally, that's how we all looked at ourselves. Like, yeah, I wasn't in Vietnam because I was two. I was two. I was born after Vietnam. But, you know, like, but that, like, you know, you go work that, like, Keith ran the, hospitality catering at the Olympics in Salt Lake City. Like those are the kinds of like, you know, you just work 15 hours straight. I actually have a, this guy had a war story the other day. Two, two of the best, two of the best war stories. One was he was, he was in a hotel in the Seychelles and, uh, and uh, what's it called? Somali pirates hijacked their supply ship. So they had to like cook wood, they had to cook food, like off dead trees on the beach because they like legit didn't have like any gas they use in the stoves. But then the other one is he worked the Hajj, which is uh, the uh, the Muslim um, pilgrimage yeah. happens every year. He's yeah. like, it was a hundred, it was, he was like 64 Fahrenheit. It was like 140 degrees outside. He's like, you threw away your clothes at the end of every shift because all the colors faded, you know, but those are, oh worse. My goodness. that's our industry. And that's how we, we look at it. And, you know, I would love to see our industry when it's not war stories. It's, uh, you know, it's a uh, quality of life stories. That would be the question. But anyway, so it's time for a war story. I guess that's where we're at here. Nick, uh, give me one of those. Yeah. Really crazy. I can't believe we got through it events. Oh boy. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking through, I mean, there's so many, right. It seems like every, everywhere I've worked, you know, that's part of our industry is going through adversity and, and challenge, challenging situations. I think, um, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot a little bit though. This isn't so much a war story, but it, it's pretty comical. So, so part of, part of the Brown Palace, if you know anything about us is that there, there is some. There are stories about about this hotel being haunted, right? And and now listen. Some people believe in this. Some people don't. And I'm not here to change anybody's mind. But but I have a story about. We were. Um, it was just before we ended up closing our doors. So we, so you know, stay at home orders. Nobody was traveling. Downtown Denver was a ghost town, and we were still open. We were selling a couple rooms a night, but really the hotel was empty. We had no food and beverage. You know, there were dining room closures. It, it was it was it was crisis mode. So 
Um, we had furloughed pretty much all of our staff. There were, I think, six of us on staff, and it was really me and my director of finance and director of engineering, and and we had a security guard, and uh, you know, uh, director of sales was still was still manning phones and things like that. But um, but there that was it, and and so we we kind of had had divvied out shifts, right? So my shift was uh, 5 a.m. to noon at the front desk. So I was. I was running the front desk, the only one in the building, um, you know, that was my shift. And um, so I remember my first shift, I came in at 5 a.m. and the overnight security guard, it was his first shift working overnight in the building by himself. So really, I think we had sold two guest rooms and he's the only one in the building all night. And and it, again, if you know the Brown, it's, it's an old building and it's, and at night without anybody in it, it's dark and it's cold. And, and, um, and so I came in at five and I, I saw the security guard and his eyes were, were bulging out of his head. His hair was standing up. He looked like Kramer. And I said, man, are you okay? And he was like, Nick, this place is haunted. I've been hearing noises all night. I'm chasing, I'm chasing noises around. I mean, he was freaked out Tommy and I just I couldn't help but crack up laughing because like this guy had been through it all night I felt for him but and we both kind of had a laugh about it but but he really he went through it at night he was hearing doors close and 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 this is down in those those kitchens and those those dungeon hallways that, that you viewed but but again imagine it being dark and empty and you're hearing things and you're going to and you're the one that's there and um, so that is a story, you know, we have all these, all these pandemic stories and that's one that it, for the rest of my life, I will never forget is this guy was chasing noises around the Brown Palace when it was virtually empty uh, all, all night. And, and so that's, that's one that I'll, I'll always look back in, on and, and get a well, chuckle out of. And you know that like, as every noise that he heard, his imagination started to spike a little bit more and like he got a 100%. His like panic yeah. level was going up, you know what I mean? And like, oh, that, that's right. I would not, yeah, I wouldn't want to be in the, like, you should, if you're, not, if you're not clear on how, like, this, what this hotel looks like, like, you've got to go check it out online. But it, just trust us when I say, holy hell, that would be terrifying. Just being in the lobby with like the, with like the atrium and just nobody yeah. in there just looking straight up into black, oh, terrifying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man. Well, Nick, this was like an absolute pleasure. Uh, I think just because I am such a Brown Palace fanboy. And uh, I, I just it was wonderful to meet you and, and get to chat with you today. Um, I will post up uh, links to the website and the hiring page um, on the, the podcast so people can, um, you know, if they're in town and they're looking for a gig, they can go check it out. Um, Thank you. Is there anything else you want to promote real quick? No, you know, we're, as you mentioned earlier, we're kind of in our primetime holiday season. I mean, we've got, we hang this huge chandelier in the atrium and it really, with all our holiday decor, it's an incredible time. Uh, and really, really, we run holiday season through January uh, and through Stock Show, which is another cool thing is we have the, the prize winning steer in our lobby to, show, you know, at the end of Stock Show, which is really cool. So, no, it's a great time um, to, to come by the Brown Palace. And, and um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the conversation, Tommy. Thanks so much for having me on. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Nick. And thank you guys for listening and we'll have more great interviews soon.